Welcome to Insight, Health Optimization with Rudy and Sean. Hello, Sean. Yeah. First part of our of our journey um, with the podcast. Long, long time coming. How are you feeling today? Uh, a little bit of mixed feelings. Nervous because I don't really like the social media spotlight, but also excited because I think we've got a lot to share with the audience. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt said, every day do something that scares you. So this is my thing today. Yeah, I agree. We've got a lot, lot of lots of learnings we, we want to share with a lot of people, um, both in our own journeys and our family's journeys and our friends' journeys so far. And it's moving out that far that we think a lot of the public need to know more. Um, if you want to maybe take us through the agenda, what we're going to talk about today. Yes, okay. So the agenda for today is first we'll just say something about ourselves, who we are. Then we'll delve into our passion for preventative health, where it comes from. Um, we'll then have a little talk about the problem in the healthcare system that we're fixing, the why for InnerSight. And I'll then say something about the thinking behind the program itself. Um, we will then also have a discussion on how the program works. And at the end, we'll end off with um, what to expect from future podcasts. Yeah, great. Um, I'll maybe kick off with uh, with the introduction of, about who we are. Um, for, for the listeners out there, um, me and Sean uh, were at university together. So we are mates from uh, med school. And we've been friends ever since, but um, I've actually made a, a turn after quite a lot of pro rugby. And um, after that, we I played some rugby in in the UK, studied in the UK, uh, made, a, made a turn in Australia and then worked on cruise ships. So a lot of, I did a lot of medicine outside of the normal realm and then came back to South Africa. I did an MBA and in that time I realized that our system is broken looking at personal health records. Um, also, how, how, do we, how do we look forward? And luckily in my journey uh, as, a, as a professional sportsman, I started something different and started cycling instead of doing weights all the time and with that became quite a big education about how you're a different person in strength versus endurance um i had a friend that in in that same time that died of a very preventable disease my mum was diagnosed with um with dementia and we started chatting and we started Delving, um, I know Sean, you're an immaculate researcher, and we put together this program to try and look at ourselves in 30 years' time instead of being the doctors that fix problems all the time. So, as a, as a doctor, my main um, work is is as an emergency room physician, and I see a lot of preventative diseases that ends in the emergency room but they should not people should be 
should have a clear guidance about where they are. And there are a lot of people these days that are looking for the answers about where where to look for specific diseases. What are the, the things that can catch you unawares on a Tuesday afternoon like it did my friend? Um, and also a longer term to start looking at your, 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 your cognitive decline now already. So a lot of things coming together in the last few years for me, I, I know for you as well. Um, and I, I think the, the heat of COVID even made that so much, so much more pertinent for us because we saw how metabolic syndrome is just bubbling under that surface. And the moment COVID came, it, the, the people with with um, metabolic syndrome were just pretty much wiped out, and they didn't even know they had that that syndrome. I don't want to call it an illness yet, but a syndrome. So yeah, it, it's been a culmination of quite a lot of streams under that is now flowing in this river, and I think for both of us, we we want to get it out there. No, absolutely. Um, we started the clinic wellspring clinic in 2019 and it actually before that at a typical south african briar we had the discussion and we realized how many people is in the same boat how many people might have underlying issues and and we were thinking but someone would, should say something about it and then that's where we chatted about starting a preventative health clinic a wellness clinic um so we started in 2019 working together. And since then, we were behind the scenes working on ways, how can we build a program to prevent all these things that Rudy was talking about? Yes, mm -hmm. and that's, that was the start of Wellspring. Even though we met in medical school many moons back, um, we, our preventative journey together started in 2019. And we feel we're ready now to share our information, our, our learnings through the last couple of years um, with the audience. Cool. So I think I think that's a that's in short how we got together um, to to build. So from a clinical point of view, we've now got a data driven model to try. And, and put numbers for each person behind where they are. So that they, because a lot of people don't understand that the illness that you see on the outside, they've got no idea what's happening on the inside. So, I mean, there's the medicine has shifted so much. I want to say in the last seven or eight years and uh, with tests that we can do um, looking forward into into our health. So if you want to maybe take us through what your thinking is um, about the program, how we use that data um, to, to, to try and predict. Yes. Um, to take it one step back, the, the passion for preventative medicine, and I think it's important to understand where the passion comes from. Um, and then people will understand why we've actually built this whole program. And for me, that started quite a long time ago. And it actually started in 2008. Uh, my firstborn was almost a year old. And winter season flew going through the house. And, you know, you, you drink copious amounts of coffee just to try and 
stay awake and everyone in the house has flu and trying to to just get through those days. Um, but I'm one of those persons that need to get onto the road. I need to go for a run or need to go for a cycle just to clear my head. And at that point, I went for a run. And that same night, later that night, I ended up in ICU. Uh, with a cardiac dysrhythm, okay, rookie mistake, got the flu, shouldn't exercise, I know the drill, but that's what happened. And subsequently, uh, that that all worked out well, and I went home, no no problems whatsoever, had a cardiac sonar and blood test done, and everything was normal. Um, then after that, every time I had to do some insurance, if I want to change my insurance policy, I, I had to go for a stress ECG, and I had to go for cholesterol tests and some blood work. Um, and fast forward to 2016, at the age of 42, I wanted to change another policy, life insurance policy. And I knew they're going to ask for the stress ECG. So I went to my cardiologist, right? And said, listen, I want to do the policy, but I need the checkup. So we went through and did the stress ECG and it came back and cardiologist showed me the stress ECG. And there were some signs of strain on the ECG pattern. And he said, oh, you know, it's probably a false positive, uh, given your exercise history and lifestyle and not having symptoms. This is probably a false positive, but he feels that we should do the angiogram. So that was on the Friday, the Tuesday, I went in, went in for my angiogram. And that was quite a, quite, quite a scary experience being on the other side of medicine. And they've... Um, we went to the cath lab and they started with the, the, the angiogram. They did it radially. And there on the screen, you could see the narrowing in your coronary arteries, two narrowings just below the main stem. Um, and and that, was, that was a, a life-changing experience at that point. So they had to put in two stents for me um, and sent me to ICU afterwards because they just need to keep, keep you in ICU overnight. But maybe, what, maybe just I'm, I'm just going to interject there just for our listeners that that are not medically trained. So they pretty much realized that your heart was not getting enough oxygen and they needed to open up one of the arteries. Yes. Yeah, so keep in mind, if you do a stress ECG test, you need to have at least 70 percent of narrowing in your um, narrowing in your coronary artery before it shows up on the stress test. So. That was the concern. And when we went to the cath lab, they confirmed it. It was almost 80% occluded at that mm. point. Fortunately, they could put stents in to open it up again, mm. to restore the blood flow to the heart muscle itself. Um, but in ICU, when I was lying in ICU, I was looking around me and I thought, something wrong with this picture. All the people in the ICU was at least 20 to 30 years older than me. And... Most of the people had quite a high BMI, body mass index, meaning a lot of them were quite obese. So to me, I just felt, what am I doing here? This is, I'm in the wrong place. I, I don't understand how this has happened. Now, keep in mind, I've had many cholesterol tests done in the past because of what happened in 2008. And I had a couple of stress ECGs over the years. Mm. Um, so... Cardiac disease doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. So this disease process was going on for 10, 20 years already in my life. Um, they discharged me the next day. I went home and my wife could see something is bothering now. Other than receiving the stents, 
she said to me, and we, I was discharged on the Wednesday and Saturday morning, she said, come, put on your running shoes. And we went out and I did a 10K trail run on the Saturday. And the funny thing is I can remember it very well is that I always joked and said, oh, I've got the diesel engine. It takes some time for me to get going. But that morning for the first time, I actually, I could go from the start. And I knew then that there was already pathology. I already had symptoms, but because I was a fit athlete, I didn't really pick it up. Got home again, and then your mind started playing games with you. How did this happen? Where did it come from? How is it possible? And I started delving into the literature. And then I stumbled upon a podcast of this doctor, Dr. Peter Atia. And it was a podcast around lipids, cholesterol and things like that, with a guy with the name um, Tom Dayspring. And I was blown away. The amount of information that I gathered from that podcast was just amazing. And at that point, that point that was the birth of Inner Sight for me, the early versions of it. I knew at that point that this information needs to get out there and we need to do something to tell people about it. Because today, fast forward, I know that my lipoprotein little a is raised. Okay. If your lipo, lipoprotein little a is raised, you've got an increased risk for cardiovascular disease, even with a normal cholesterol. Yeah, so just for the listeners out there again, so most people... Will 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 come and say, but my cholesterol is high. So th that that means very little actually. And then people will say, okay, but I've got good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, and then fats or triglycerides, as we call them. Again, that's that's quite old. So what what uh, Sean you talking about now is actually delving deeper now and and actually finding two other uh, other particles, the lipoprotein A. And ApoB is the other one. Yes. So, I mean, this information is available since 1963. We've known if your lipoprotein little a is raised, you've got to increase the risk for cardiovascular disease. It's genetic determined. So you only basically need to do a test once in your lifetime. And the scary part is that about 10 to 30% of the population has this raised level of lipo little a. And, and except for us doing that test, how often do you see it out there? I mean, it's not a test that gets done a lot. No, well, you know, through whole, my whole cardiac journey, no one has tested it. Mm. And I've seen by specialists, I've gone through the system, no one has tested it ever. If, yeah, I so knew, if I've known my level when I was 20, you know, then you could have started investigating Started on statins if I had to go on statins, do a pack scan to see if there's any changes in the artery. It's preventable. You know, the, the sick care model worked very well. They picked up the problem, they stented me, they fixed me. Fixed me. Because you have a stent in your heart now, you're not completely fixed. But the preventative part of the system has failed completely. And, and I think that's the thing. That's... Why did it fail? It's because we still do medicine the old way. Yeah. The preventative healthcare, you know, there's just not enough time in a GP visit to do preventative health. And I think I think that's what the people listening to this podcast must understand. Both me and you have been. I mean, I had a I had a cardiac arrhythmia as well. Was also in the ICU. Um, 
and we delve and we are looking at our own health and hence we want to help people in the same journey. So, I mean, we are looking at ourselves as a, as a, as a, kick us 80 old that's where we want to be and in our language we call it the squaring of the um of the longevity curve but uh, I, 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 just putting your story together i want to say this was born inside of us the, i mean with you first having a stent that you should not have had because your story is scary because someone or, or you were never screened in the right or, or maybe at that time in the right way, but there is a new way. That's yeah. what we want to say. There is a way that people can actually have numbers behind how, what your chances of going to have a stent. And yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if my story and our program can save one person from getting an unnecessary stent, that, that's a win for me. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think the stent is the one thing. So, and, and that brings us to the ASCVD, as we call it, or atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So that's the one part of what we will do. We will look into that, and then obviously uh, there are other pieces as well. There's legs that we that we're trying to build, trying and get that thing that blindsides you on some idle Tuesday. Um, and yeah, if you maybe just want to talk through that. Yeah, so um, I also, Rudy, and, and, and you in the ER, and you work with a lot of GPs as well, um, the time constraints of doing a preventative health initiative, it's, it's, you can say something about it, but do you think there's any chance that you can do adequate preventative health in a, in a system like that? <laughs> the, the problem is uh, with the with the fee-for-service model is that you've only got that much time per patient and you're trying to fix problem number one when they come in. So, I mean, maybe half an hour with with your doctor every year, preventative. I mean, and then you get like a thumbs up because, because there's not a system kicking back numbers at you. The doctor wants to tell you. He wants or she wants to tell you that you are actually okay. Hmm. But if the numbers don't kick back and say, there's a red block, let's talk about this, then, then I think some things can be brushed over. So absolutely, time constraints, number one. Number two is people wanting to please their patient. So to solve that problem, we need data. That's, that's the only way we can solve the problem, having good data sets. Now, if you think stethoscope was introduced in 1860 by some French doctor, and when you went to a doctor then, he would look at you and would ask you a couple of questions. He will listen to your heart and your lungs, examine you, maybe feel for a lump or bump, um, and then make his diagnosis. Fast forward to 2023, if you go to your GP, that's really similar experience you're going to get. From, from your doctor's visit. Yet any other industry, they use mega data sets to predict or help with decision-making and, and medicine has been left behind regarding, in, in that sense. Um, my opinion is that in the acute setting, clinical science still plays a role. If, if Rudy, if you fall 
off your, your mountain bike and you struggle to breathe, I would like to have my stethoscope and have a listen and say, oh, he's got a nematothorax, we need to do something. But if I find something with my eyes or my hands on you in a preventative sense, we've missed the boat. It's too late. And the only way to overcome this is to use data sets, to get as much information as possible, put it in a big calculator based on medical calculations, risk calculations, things like that, and get a picture of you, almost like a digital avatar, to see the way you look like now in time and to red flag all the possible issues that might cut your journey short. So, yeah. And it also excludes provider bias if you use the data sets. Yeah, and, and and that's exactly. I think that bias is a is is quite a big thing. I mean, people talk about AI and all kinds of things. I mean, this is really literally data that's that that's put into a program that kicks back, and then the doctor can't have that bias, and then he he will put his mind or, or she will put her mind to what's been kicked out at the moment. It'll be me or you talking to to the inner side clients and i think that 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 that's what we want to say i mean inner sight is a data driven model for individualized for every patient you've gone through it i've gone through it i mean i've gone through it that much that i've actually got stitches in myself still because i was i had some stuff picked up i went through the program and i am living the program and i i i, I just I, I burn to try and get this out to people to say, but let us uh, get as many people screened as possible. So, and 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 not just a superficial screen. You need to get through the steps to 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 know, like you say, your digital avatar. The the unfortunate thing is that currently preventative health, medical aids, and things like that doesn't really cover in depth um, preventative health, and. The tests are expensive. Um, it's expensive to do a full work, blood workup and all the tests that we would like to have. Yet people would pay quite a lot of money to service their cars. And, you know, that's your ass asset. That's your, without your health, nothing else matters. Yeah, I, I love the way that um, that Peter Atias says it. He says, we, uh, we all, we're all born time billionaires. But the moment you get sick, you become time poor. And we want to keep you time rich as, as long as possible. So as far as the, the functioning, we want to have you functioning as well as you can, as long as you, as long as you can. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all going to die at some point. I mean, they, they, as much as people talk about genetics and everything, at the moment, being born... You're, you're, the only certain thing is that you're going to die at some point. So as they say, death and taxes. So, <laughs> so we want to keep you as good as possible for as long as possible, but with data behind it and have an actionable plan for the next year so that you can take it to your cardiologist, rheumatologist, dermatologist, uh, and say, but this is what these guys have done already. Put in your little piece. So, I mean, we're not trying to be your your GP, or we we want to be your your oversight 
and hence the inner sight. We want to look in and say, this is what your digital avatar looks like and give you an actionable plan for the next year. Yeah, I think you said something very important is that we certainly don't want to replace your doctor. Okay? We want to work with them. We want to give you the information, red flag the problem areas, and then you can work with your doctor fixing that. Mm. And then we can retest and see if it's better. Uh, just an idea. So the, the program, the InnerSight program, we start off by asking the core question of how do you want to look, feel, and function one day when you're 80 or 90 years old? That's the first question. And one needs to think about it because, you know, your 80-year picture in your head might differ from my 80-year picture. And it's important to understand what you would like to be able to do in, at that point in time. So we then reverse engineer the whole process and we say, okay, first of all, the first step is to get you to 80 or 90. And this is where we look at the medical, the, the most common medical problems that might cut your journey short. I mean, obviously we can't prevent or predict all diseases, but there's certain things that's definitely up there causing most of the problems. So we'll look in depth into those problems. And to take an example, we don't want to diagnose diabetes when it's there. We don't want to diagnose diabetes when it's pre-diabetic. We want to actually pick it up when you already have insulin resistance. So the pre-pre-diabetic stage, that's when we want to pick it up because at that point, we can change it. You don't need to become a diabetic. Yeah, so, uh, and again, just to bring, bring this all back for our listeners, uh, pre-diabetics, I mean, we've now realized, so there's, there's two big things in my mind that we're looking for. We're looking for metabolic inflammation and how you deliver oxygen to your body. For me, that was, was my epiphany is, okay, that's the two big things that, that we're looking for. And, and in, in what we do, I mean, we've got lots of pillars inside and, and we've got sliders and, and colors and all that. But for me, a pre-diabetic has got uh, less oxygen delivery because they've got a metabolic slowness on the inside. And, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about this a lot more when we actually focus on the things that we, the, uh, what we do in the model. But on this first episode, I think w what we need to tell our, our listeners is that it is actually the first set of, of, of screenings is going to be so much different to your normal bloods that you've had with your doctor. I mean, a lot of the stuff you'll take back to your normal GP, they might not have heard about because it's different, but it is a deeper delve into your current metabolic state. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and also to figure out how you need to function one day when you're 80, 90, year, 90 years of age, Maybe an example will work the best to explain the reverse engineering in, in that setting as well. So we, we make use of a VO2 max and we measure your VO2 max to, to have a look or get an idea of your cardiorespiratory function. And there's a lot of data about behind VO2 max testing. What we do know 
is that you'll need at least a VO2 max of about 30 when you're 80 years old to take your dogs for a stroll down the park, to go for a light hike or go up the stairs with some grocery bags. If I'm just going to stop you there quickly, just for our listeners that are not medically trained. So VO2 max for the athletes and all that, they, they understand. But a VO2 max is pretty much how much oxygen your body uses in a certain amount of, 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 of exercise or, or power use. Yes, absolutely. Maybe, maybe you can just give, say something about how they usually test VO2 max, just, just, a, just a very touching on it so that people can understand. Yeah, so normally, uh, so our, our, our method is a, is a derived method of this, but if you go to, let's say, something like our Sports Science Institute um, in Cape Town or in a big lab, they will put on a mask and they will, they will um, test how much oxygen you're actually consuming how much uh, CO2 is coming out. So they will have a, a very good idea about how much oxygen you use. And then they will have a ramp test where they ramp you up with your heart rate and with the amount of power that you're actually putting out. Because, I mean, it's it's pretty easy on, a, on an exercise bike or a, a um, treadmill to... To, to know how much work you're doing. And then you balance the amount of work you're doing with the weight of the person and how much oxygen they actually consume. And and, and that will be your VO2 max. So it's, which is the number then that yeah. it kicks out. So, yeah, so, so we've got different numbers that we play with. So for instance, my VO2 max at the moment is 45. Um, you know, it might be 30 for someone else. It might be 80 for someone else that's an extreme athlete. But we know that you need at least 30 to do activities of daily life when you're 80, 90 years of age. We also know that if your VO2 max falls below 20, between 20 and 18, somewhere there, you will need assisted living when you're 80. Okay. So, and, and that obviously, I don't want to be there. And that comes back to the question at the beginning is how do you see yourself at the age of 80? If you're happy to be in an assisted living facility, let it be. But if you don't want to do it, if you would like to take your dogs for a walk or whatever, you're going to need a little bit of a higher VO2 max than 20. And if you're on the brink of 20 and you get the flu, as an example, it might just push you back over the brink into assisted living for that period of time. So now the reverse engineering bit is now, we know that your VO2 max decrease about 10% per decade. So I'm going to take myself now as an example. So I'm, let's say I'm I'm a couple of months shy from 50. My VO2 max is about 45 at the moment. Um, let's take 80. At 80 years of age, that's another three decades. So that's a 30% decrease from my VO2 max. So that's going to put me just, just above the 30 threshold from 45. Yeah, so you actually have to be pretty fit eh? uh, now to be okay at 80. And that's the point. Mm. And I, my vision of myself at 80 is not just taking the dogs for a walk. I would like to do a decent hike. I would like to do some cycling, um, which means that my VO2 max of 45 might be too low. So I might need to work a little bit harder on getting it slightly higher or just keep it at level for as long as possible. Yeah. And, and I, th I think yeah. the, that's the other part of, of what the listeners um, might not understand is that 
fitness has got a, a few components. So if someone saw me while I was playing rugby, they would have thought that I was very fit. So endurance fit, I was actually pretty bad, but strength fit, I was off the scales. And I think the, so. So we actually test all four parts of of, of of. So the VO2 max that we're talking about now is in the endurance part. Then we check the strength part, and then we've got two more that that we test. It's the um, flexibility, flexibility and your balance and balance as well. Yeah, which is also very important. I mean, Absolutely. And and I think the, the the mindset of longevity in in this sense is that. We, it's not single sport orientated. You need to have the end picture in life. And to, to get there, you need to have muscle power. You need to have cardiorespiratory function. You need to have balance. You need to have flexibility. And you need to get there. So you need to exclude all those other diseases that might cut your journey short. Yeah. So we, we borrowed the term, the four horsemen from, uh, from Peter Tia, um, about what we're looking at. So we've, we've talked about the ASCVD. Um, so arteriosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Um, and then obviously there's neurodegenerative disease. We haven't touched on the cancers yet. So a lot of people talk about cancer. You talk us through how we go with girls and boys. I mean, we test. Yeah, so, so I, I think we'll have a podcast at some point around cancer and detecting cancer and and um, what's available and what might be available in the near future. But I think for now, we need to understand that every person has got a unique risk based on gender, based on age, and based on your family history. And there's certain cancers that we can screen for, but if you walk into your GP office, and, and unfortunately these days, many people don't have a family GP anymore. They, they, they go online, they see where's, where they can find an opening to see a doctor quickly because they feel unwell. Go see the doctor. That doctor doesn't have the time to actually ask all the questions to decide where the risk lies and what preventative screening needs to be done. And this is where I'm coming back to the data-driven model, where we can put all those inputs into this data-driven model, and it will kick out. Rudy, you now do for X, Y, and Z screening for cancer. Um, so, yes, there's different cancers that we can screen for. The obvious ones, the ones that's mostly screened for, is the colonoscopies for colon CA breast CA screening, prostate cancer screening, cervical cancer screening. That's that's the four obvious ones. Um, and in future, there's there's a lot of exciting stuff going on in screening field for future development. Yeah, and I think I think that's the other part is people are like, but medicine is going to change so much in the next 10 years. Like I can do whatever I want. Medicine, medicine will save me. But the problem is you still have to get there and you have to get the best Absolutely. specimen of yourself there to, ha to, to be able to, to get the help that is going to be available because there will be new stuff. I mean, like IT is, I mean, AI is now, is now nice and new in, in the IT industry. Um, it, it'll probably spill over to medicine and how we find things. But what we need to do is make sure 
that you don't get hit by a heart attack in two months' time or a, a stroke in four years' time. We need to put numbers behind your risk, and and that's what the model does. Uh, absolutely. And, 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 and we know we're going to move into a data-driven world in the medical field. At the moment, this, unfortunately, you've got the consumer products developed by IT background people, and you've got medical products developed through the medical line. And the two doesn't matter. They, they, they're not getting together nicely at the moment. Mm. Um, doctors, most doctors, not all of them feel like many of these devices, you can't use the data because it's not um, medically graded data. And um, some of the consumer products is not, they, they've built stuff that doctors don't want to use. But we think slightly different about this. Uh, I'm, we, we feel there's still a place for this art. If you look at, most people's got a fitness tracker, tracker mm. these days, and it started off by tracking your steps, maybe your heart rate. It's moved on, so now we can track sleep, we can track uh, heart rate variability, we can track temperature, oxygen saturation. It's just getting better and better. And soon we'll be able to do blood pressure, we'll be able to do your glucose through your your device i mean you get a separate device where you can do it already but all in one device and i think within the next five to ten years it's going to be a completely different um, landscape out there and we need to think of how are we going to integrate this data from the devices now already in our program and yeah. we're doing it yeah, you know, uh, I, I just wanted to say we, we do think sleep is a superpower, so we do focus on that quite a bit. Um, the, yeah, so very, very interesting stuff. Uh, and I think the other thing I want to bring today for our first podcast is to say to, to someone that has not been screened is just to remember everyone has got something. So you've now you've now listen to both myself and Sean's story. So I can promise you on the other side of where you're listening, you have got something. So you're pretty indestructible till you're about 30 and then things start moving in different directions and you need to get some kind of a digital avatar of yourself. So, um, or digital medical avatar is almost what we, what, yeah. what we wanting yeah. to say. So, um, and yeah, we're bringing something new. I think it's very exciting. Um, and yeah, I'm just trying to think if, is there anything we have not touched on uh, in the program itself? Um, do you think it's necessary to say how it works, the sign up and things like that? Maybe? Yeah, I think for the first part, it's probably, it's probably worth it. Yeah. Um, so again, we, we try and make it Tech, tech light, if I can say. So website, literally put in your email, sign up, you can pay on the website. And then from there on, you will have um, someone contact you for a, a nurse's assessment. So we need to get the values. We need to see what you look like. We need to get a blood pressure. So blood pressure you can't get over the, over the um, internet. What we can get over the internet is a lot of these pedantic questions that you sometimes feel the doctor ask you. You literally get a form and you can click them on your phone and send them back and they will go into your model. Yes. And yeah, so 
I think from from that side, maybe you can take it further. Once the the the, the you've had your nurses visit, so visit yes, number yeah, one, yeah. And, and and in the nurses visit as well, they do the the physical testing, the exercise test. Yeah. So we do a push up test and squat test and grip strength and flexibility and you name it. And all you know, and then we capture the data into the into the program or the the platform as such, which is basically a big Excel calculator built with medical calculators and risk calculators, which then kicks out a result or your digital avatar. And you will see where this, and, and we, we've done it nicely with color coded, well, almost like red flags. So we've got that, the normal green, yellow, red type of um, color scheme. So that you can immediately see if there's something that's out of sync for, for your age and for your your profile as such. It's it's quite in, individualized because we age, gender, according to the family history, all those things get together and provide us some feedback on you. Yeah, so I think I think f- for me, uh I mean I'm I'm on the discovery and the momentum type type thing. I've done both. Um and you get a report once you've done your medical check. And people think that that's enough. Like uh, it, it's definitely not enough. I mean, and I think no, the other side is, that one. Not yeah, it's not enough. And I think the other side is, is that you're getting a proactive plan what to do in the next year. So if there's medication to be prescribed, we ask you if you want us to prescribe it and you, and then you go to your GP. So, or you just go to your GP with our form and, uh, and and you take it further from there and they can contact us for reasons why we're thinking the way we do. So, uh, and I think, I mean, we talk about all the ways we, we will, what your options are for each one. I mean, we won't press you into, I mean, there's a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to take a statin. If you don't want to take a statin, there are tests to do to say, but where are you going? Or if you don't want to take a statin, there are other options. But I mean, uh, some people with cholesterol needs treatment. So, and I mean, we are quite on the, on the cutting edge of reading every day about where this is going. So we are, we, we are keen to uh, yeah, give you a plan. And I think but, that's but a, I also, I also think that part of our idea is to empower people. They need to become almost like the CEO of their own health. They, mm. they need to take control. We can give them all the information and it helps seeing it on paper. This is your risk. And it helps giving all the options. We can do X, Y, and Z to help you to get there. But people need to take control of their own health. Um, we, we're still very much in the mindset that you go to the doctor, they give you a pill and you fix. And unfortunately, in preventative health, is work. You need to put in work, unfortunately. But if you do that, you can get to that almost kick-ass 80-year-old that we're mm. talking about. Um, but you need to take control of your own health. So whatever we say, it's still your decision at the end of the day. And we can guide you. Yeah, I think, I think that's the... I mean, if you get red blocks everywhere and you do nothing, then your risk will become true. You will have problems later. So we're going we're gonna to show you some stuff, but 
I think for the listener, they must remember that that their lies work behind it. I mean, a guy like myself, I've had to lose more than 20 kilograms and I'm still struggling to get down. But that that was the reality of cannot carry that much weight. That's bad weight. If you carry good weight, fair enough. But um, and that brings us to muscle mass we look at muscle mass and where we are and our secondary screening what do we where do we look for visceral fat so we're gonna your i mean your hour-long consultation with us will be very much the same as that we're sitting here now it's talking through different sides and making a plan for each each individual and for some individuals it can be quite overwhelming because many times we find quite a (laughs) <laughs> a lot of red blocks on, yeah. on, on, on the report. And um, what we then do is guide them to which ones are the most important. Okay, We need to give attention to these. These ones are important, but we can put them aside. We'll address them in three months' time or whatever and just guide you through that process. We don't want to overload you with too much. But, you know, a small step today and small steps along the way will take you a long way in the future. Mm. Yeah. The, and I mean, both our journeys have been amazing up to now. And and I think that's the reason why we're sitting here today is like we want to bring it out there that there is a new way to look at the future for your for your 80-year-old self looking back. And if you look at our website, that's the picture of, of of the young man, old man. I mean, we're all going to get old. We're all going to die, but we want to be a good 80-year-old. I mean, I say 80-year-old, um, to borrow from Peter T again, is the marginal decade. Whenever you decide your marginal decade is going to be, if you think you're going to try and get to 100 to 110, your marginal decade, fair enough. Then you need to plan that now. Yeah. It's It's... It's almost like a professional sport. I mean, you're not going to enter an event and not plan for the event. If you know Rudy and your example, if you, if you enter for the epic, you can't just pitch the day at the epic and think you're going to finish the epic. There's a there's a whole plan to get to that point where you can participate in the epic, and that's with life as well. That's with there there need to be a plan to be that 80 years, 90 year old. 100 year old that you want to be so it's not just going to happen on its own you need to have that plan in place yeah and i think the nice thing is i mean we've we've talked over the program but uh what it entails but you will talk about iron levels and andropause and menopause and i mean uh, uh, this is just scratching the surface of what we do but we wanted to bring it out there that there is a new way so and and then the tip of the pyramid as to say is the longevity interventions and uh, in the conversation that might come out things like rapamycin you know red light therapy nad plus things like that um but that's the cherry on top. So first we need to do the base, get you to 80. We need to fix that middle part, the exercise, the muscle power, the, all the things to get you a nice functional ATL. And then that little cherry on top is just the interventions we can do to help you to get there. And, then, and we'll look at it and say, what is the pros and cons of each one? And if the downside is too much, then we'll advise not to do it. 
But if there's an upside with not much downside, that's something that we might consider um, offering you. Yeah, and and I think the the other side is that that we're not just sending you for tests. I mean, we will be in the background, and we can talk to GPs and and guys, um, the, let's say cardiologists, surgeons, or gastroenterologists, whoever does the next tests. Um, we we can gather that information, and I mean, your report is going to grow. That's your plan. Um, yeah, so very very exciting stuff, and and I mean, the nice thing is we'll we'll guide you. So this podcast is for us to say this is what we can do, but we will also guide you to information to to change what you do. So we'll try and update website on 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 the specific areas. We will write blogs. So try and talk about let's say something like iron, or we'll bring in people to talk about exercise and yeah so yeah i think it's important to try and get that mix of medical professionals and specialists in certain areas and performance um people like the coaches and the um other aspects of of longevity because there's a lot of things involved it's not just medicine there's other parts there's diet and exercise and sleep and we'll see yeah yeah i'm quite excited no, very excited, very excited. And uh, yeah, I, I'm in this journey and I want to learn as much as anyone out there. But I think if if we don't talk about it and we don't get it out there, I mean, the, the finance industry has shown us they they talk and they've got podcasts and people listen and and uh, we need to get our, 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 our medical point about what's new and, and, and how we can change. I mean, everyone can change, which is great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks for the first one. And yeah. I, I hope the I we're gonna plan the next one and I hope we're gonna we're gonna be getting uh, a lot of people fitter and I think the fitter and better selves and then yeah, I think our our uh trying to prevent that extra stint that you said is probably gonna start as soon as tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Rudy. Thanks. Back up. Right.